0: Sahana Vabatu, Sahanao Bhunatu, Sahavir Yankarva Vahai, Tejasvi Navadhi, Tamastu Om Shanti 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 Shankarananda नमः श्री संकरा नंदे गुरुपादां बुज्जनमने गुरुपादां बुज्जनमने सविला समहा मोह सविला समह मोह ग्राह सैकर्मने ग्राहक to the verse 110 the author here quotes several verses from an Upanishad of the Maitrayani Shaka where it says se shakayanyo munisukham praha that a sage called Shakyayana described to this king Bruhadratha who approached him as a disciple Samadhi Ukti Sukham Praha the Sage Shakyayana told this disciple about the Sukham or the happiness that is Brahma Brahmananda, the happiness of Brahman. Samadhi Abhidhana Purvakam in the state of Samadhi or a total abidance in Brahman. Then how did he say the eight verses describe? This eight verses quote a portion of this dialogue between sage Shakayana, Shak- Shakayanya, and the disciple Brahmendra. यथा निरिन्द्रो <clears> वन्नि <throat> स्वयोना स्वयोना वुपशाम्मिरि तथा वृत्तिक्षयाचित्तम् स्वयोना वुपशाम्मिरि Just as a fire, as long as there is the firewood, the fuel how the fire continues to be in the form of a flame meaning the principle of fire is now in a particular form called a flame as long as the fuel is there so long similarly also as long as various thought eruptions are there in the mind so long the mind remains in what we call an individual or particular form and just as when the fuel is burnt how the fire which was in the form of a flame merges into the principle fire so what was in a manifest particular form becomes unmanifest or general the vishesha and samanya samanya is universal vishesha is particular so what we call a fire is a particular expression of the principle of fire which is universal and when the fuel is burnt away then that flame or the, the particular fire gets merged into the principle of fire the universe fire universe fire universal fire Similarly, also, vritti And so also, when from the mind, this rajoguna and the tamoguna, the rajas and tamas thought eruptions, when they also get exhausted on account of constantly focusing the mind upon the self. So when the mind is under the influence of rajas, then it naturally goes out towards the object with a desire to acquire them or enjoy them. Or when the mind is under the influence of tamas, then it just, it becomes dull or without any kind of initiative, dull, lazy. So when the mind becomes free from this kind of thoughts, then mind becomes sattvic. It becomes an abiding mind. It abides in the self. And then, sattva matra bhavati It no more remains a mind in terms of the eruptions of thought. It is not that the mind gets distorted, the mind becomes sattvic, becomes tranquil. So, just as the fire, when it becomes tranquil, merges into the principal fire, and so also when the rajoguna and the tamoguna for the mind is essentially removed, then the mind becomes sattvic, meaning becomes tranquil. Svayo upashantasya manasaha satyakaminaha indriyasvimuhara mimudhasya anutaha vashanugaha and when the mind thus becomes tranquil, abides in the self, and therefore gains an understanding, a direct apprehension of the tranquility that the self is, the tranquility or the, the ananda or the fullness of the self is, as the mind gets a direct apprehension on account of its abiding in the self, <coughs> then it realizes that the pleasures obtained from the ordinary sense objects are anutaha, they are all mitya. He finds them to be, number one, transient for what they are. At the same time, finds them also to be mitya. Mitya meaning, he realizes that the happiness that seems to come from the objects is merely reflected happiness, that the real source of happiness is the self. This is what one discovers when the mind becomes tranquil and when the mind becomes abiding in the self. Wherever the mind abides, that is what the mind experiences. When the mind abides in the self, then gets a direct first-hand apprehension that the self or I am tranquil. <coughs> and so in the verse 113 this question was asked or the question was answered rather that how do you say that when the mind becomes tranquil or abiding in the self that one becomes free from samsara? Because mind samsara is not created by the mind And therefore, even if the mind becomes tranquil or abiding, the samsara does not go away. Then the verse 139 said, Chittamevhi samsara. Understand that it is a mind which is samsara. Even though it is not that this world is created from the mind, but it is a mind that converts this world into a samsara. What we have are various situations. But it is the mind that really converts the situation into problems. So what we have are situations, various situations we meet with, and it is the mind which converts it into problems. Similarly also the world is what it is. And how come the world seems to be binding to me? That is because the mind superimposes the value of bhoga or enjoyment upon the world. And that's how the world becomes, instead of remaining merely the world, it becomes an object of enjoyment, or object from where to draw the pleasure from. So what we call the bhogabuddhi, an object is what it is. But to look upon that object as an object of enjoyment, so that is called, to look upon it as an object of enjoyment, to superimpose that enjoyability upon the object, is something that is done by the mind. This is what we call the jiva the private creation of the individual that God has created the ob- world and the objects, upon them I superimpose my particular view that this is desirable, this is undesirable, this is object of enjoyment, the other one is not, and that is how the one gets bound. Not because the objects are binding, but because I superimpose these values upon the objects, and that is how I I become bound. Yachittha <coughs> <coughs> tanmayo Yachittha So yasmin chittam Yasmin chittavan bhavati Wherever the mind is Attached Or whatever the mind is identified with marti hai. This is ancient truth That whatever the mind is identified with That is what the person is at that moment If the mind is identified with my son Well that's what I become Mind is identified with God Well that's what I become Mind is identified with devil, but that's what I become. (coughs) And therefore, even though the Atma does not have any samsara, but Atma as though becomes samsari, on account of association with the mind, which mind is samsari. So when the mind is, has a samsara, meaning mind superimposes values and then runs after the objects, on account of association with such a mind, the Atma also has becomes samsari. Ataha chitta sa shodhanena Atmana samsara nivruttihi And therefore, what is the matter of making the Atma free from samsara? Chitta shodhanena By purification of the mind. This is the point. And that point is being made. Now continuing our discussion with verse 114. Here the method recommended to become free from samsara is Purify your mind And what is meant by purification of the mind? Make the mind free from the rajas and tamas How do I know that there is rajas or rajaguna in my mind? when in my mind there is desire? there is greed, there are, there is desire to possess, enjoy, you know, when, when we find this, we know that the mind is under the influence of rajogunan. And when do I know that the mind is under the influence of tamogunan? When, as I said, the mind just enjoys laziness, lethargy, sleep, inactivity, understand that the mind is under the influence of tamogunan. So the rajas and tamas are looked upon as impurities of the mind. And what we are told here is to purify the mind of this rajas and tamas. And the mind, when go sattvic, it, it becomes objective. It sees things as they are, and then there is no samsara. Samsara is not to see the things as they are. What is merely an object, to look upon that as an object of enjoyment, that is samsara. What is merely an object, to look upon that as something desirable, undesirable, to seek security where it is not, to seek happiness where it is not, to look upon something which is impermanent, to look upon that as permanent. All of this is the trick of the mind. The samsara is nothing but the trick of the mind. And that is happens as long as mind is under the influence of rajas and tamas. And so purification of mind by rajas, from rajas and tamas, when the mind becomes sattvic, it becomes also objective. Because where sattva is, there the knowledge is in the mind gains a perception of the world as it is. When this is said, then the question is asked, that look, you say that we have been going through countless births in the past and whenever the human birth comes and we perform uh, countless actions in a given birth and accumulate also the countless results, And thus the countless human births that I must have gone through during that time, I must have accumulated countless results. And when can I become free from samsara when all those actions have been exhausted? So all the actions that I performed in the past, they have generated what we call the subtle results, which are all carried in my mind in the form of impressions. And only when all the vasanas are exhausted, then alone I can become free. How can I become free otherwise? Anandibhava paramparoparjida sukhadukhapparada punya papakarmano satoho. Thus, in the countless past lives, I must have, accu- I must have accumulated countless punya and apakarma, or virtue and vice. And all the virtue will give rise to happiness, the vicious actions will give rise to unhappiness. And when countless such actions are there in my account in the store, katham atmana samsara nibrati mavishari. How is it possible that the self will become free from samsara? And when can you exhaust the countless actions that you accumulated? It will be countless births. Again, in each birth, we keep on accumulating. And therefore, there will be no end. If you wait for a day when all the actions and all the vasanas will be exhausted, that day will never come. And therefore, how can the self ever become free? He says, hmm. Chitta prasadha upalakshita brahmanu sandhānena sakala karmakṣayopatthehe maevam. Evam. It says, what is required is a purification of the mind. When the mind becomes pure or tranquil, the contemplation upon the self becomes natural. See, mind contemplates upon the thing, and, you know, depending upon the disposition of mind. When the mind is under the influence of rajas, it will think of the sense objects and the pleasures and accomplishments, achievements and whatever. When the mind is an influence of tamas, it will only think of withdrawing, inactivity and so forth. When the mind is satric, it will think of self, it will think of Brahman. it will think of knowledge. And therefore, don't worry, when the mind becomes satric, then, or becomes tranquil, becomes contemplative, then the contemplation about the self or brahman is, is what will become Uh, possible for that mind and by the very strength of the contemplation of one Brahman or abiding in the self all the past karmas will be exhausted. And this is what is said in the verse 114. Chittasya hiprasadena, Chittasya hiprasaden Hanti karma antikarma karma shubha shubham, prasannatma atman isthitva, prasannatma atman isthitva, sukham akshayyam achnude, sukham akshayyam prasadena, he, he is something that is well known. He shows your prasiddhi. It is something that is well known. Chitta si prasadena. That when chitta becomes prasannam, becomes transparent. Prasannam svacham. When, when we say that the water is pure, when the water is transparent. Similarly, when all the impurities are removed from the water, then water becomes transparent. Then we say that this is pure water. And similarly also, when the rajas and tamas, the impurities are removed from the mind, mind also becomes prasannam or transparent. Then we say that the mind is pure. So, chittasya hi prasadena. By the purity of the mind or transparency of the tranquility of the mind. So, water also becomes transparent, it also becomes tranquil. One can see one's face very clearly in that, in that pool of water, which is tranquil. One can also clearly see the surface. Underneath the water also, because the water is transparent and similarly also in the mind becomes tranquil or transparent. One can see one's reflection or one can see oneself as as the very basis of the tranquility. <coughs> and so this verse says it is it is quite well known. This is what Lord Krishna also says. Prasade Prasanna Cheta Sohyashu Buddhi Pariyo Prasade Saru Dukkha Nam Asya Upajayade Asya Yogi For this Yogi meaning for the seeker of knowledge when his mind becomes tranquil or transparent Saru hanihi Nam Haanihi Upajayade then there is the destruction of all the suffering Prasanna Cheta Sohy because why is it so? Why when the mind becomes tranquil, that all my suffering or all my grief should end? He because, prasanna when the mind becomes tranquil, transparent, pure, āshu, very quickly, buddhi parya Is is buddhya the mind abides in the self, when it becomes pure. And when the mind abides in the self, or it sees the nature of the self, as tranquility, as happiness, then naturally he realizes that now there is nothing that can make me unhappy or sad because he recognizes his own nature as happiness. And that is how he says, Prasad-e haani Then person becomes free from all the grief and suffering. So really one may say that sometimes the grief and suffering also may be because the mind has a certain disposition. And therefore we work with the mind and seek to make it pure by recognizing the rajas and tamas and seeking to resolve them. Of course, with the study, with contemplation, with prayers, with all of these, we seek to purify the mind. And as the mind becomes pure, as the mind becomes free from the rajas and tamas, it becomes an abiding mind. To the extent that it is free from rajas, tamas, to that extent it becomes abiding. You have a lot of difficulty in concentrating the mind can sit quietly. Why is it so? Because of rajas. So, so much activity is there and so many desires are there, so much activity is there, so much restlessness is there. So when we address that problem of activity or desires or rajas and with the help of the teaching we resolve that. <coughs> and as I said also with the study, with the prayer, with the contemplation, as we resolve this the mind becomes more and more tranquil. Ultimately the Chandogya Upanishad says, Tadhyatha Ishika Tulam Agno Protam Pradhuveda Evam Hasya Sarve Paapmanha Pradhu Yante. Ishika. Ishika is kind of a grass. And in the. Uh, there is an outer covering. And then there is what we call the core of that grass. That core of the grass is a very soft cotton like substance in there. So the Ishiga in the core of that grass is very soft and tender the cotton-like substance. Sometimes that is that is to be offered as oblation. In which case you should take that grass and very carefully remove the outer covering which is very hard. If you are not careful then that that core also will be broken or destroyed. So you must very carefully remove and sometimes that is to be offered. And when you offer that Core of the Ishika grass, then how as soon as even you offer in the fire, it just burns right away? Imagine offering cotton into a fire, right away it burns. Evam sarve praduyante. And similarly, also, this person of whom the mind has become pure, all the papa or the sins, they also get burnt. So that's what Lord Krishna said, Jnana Sarva karmani basmasat dasa the fire of the knowledge burns all these impurities just as a fire burns the fire world. There's another quotation here, Pupapātakeshu Sarveshu, Pātakeshu Mahatsuja, rajani padam, Brahmadhyānam Samāchara Jatyādi. Says here that suppose one has committed heinous sins, Pupapātaka, many minor sins have been committed, Mahatsupadakeshvara, many grave sins are committed, like killing a brahmana, killing a cow, they are considered to be grave sins in those days. So when somebody has committed sins like that, and then also, suppose one wants to become free from those sins, what should one do? Pravesha rajani padam. So, at the, at the, at the time of night, at the night time, when everything has become quiet at that time, Brahma Dhyanam May one perform what we call the Dhyanam or meditation upon Brahman. In short, if one meditates or one has one's mind abiding in Brahman or the self, even for a quarter of the night, that is enough to burn all one's sins. So how? Recognizing oneself as Brahman, naturally, all the karma or the actions performed by the ego are disowned. The burning is merely disowning things. When nothing can affect, thing cannot affect me when I do not own it up. It can affect me only when I own up or when I am identified with it. Thus, even when a certain feeling arises in my mind of anger or jealousy or whatever it is, when will I be shaken up by that? When I identify with that mind. If I remain indifferent with the mind, if I remain unidentified with the mind, that feeling can come and go away. But on account of identification alone, it becomes very, it just builds up and then assumes a great force. <coughs> Here on the other hand, here also, so when one sees oneself as a self, as pure or as Brahman, is not identified with the ego, then also one is unconcerned about the various actions performed by the ego. Just when one wakes up, how all the actions performed by, in the dream are all disowned, but I know I am not that. And that's why, just by waking up, all the sins on the punya and papa of the dream, all of them are burnt right away. Similarly also, by the knowledge of oneself, all the punya papa accumulated by the ego, all of them are disowned, and that is how we say they are all burnt away. Meaning, they become ineffective as far as this person is concerned, no more effective. <coughs> so, chittas <coughs> prasadena handi karma subhashvam says the author here that by the purity or tranquility or transparency of the mind, one destroys all the karma, all the action subha ashubha. Shubha means virtue. Ashubha means vice. So virtuous and vicious, whatever actions are there, which are all performed by the ego, on account of my identifying myself with self, no more identified with the ego, all these karmas are as good as given up, or as good as destroyed. Prasanna atma atmanisthitva sukha Okay? Suppose that all the sins are burnt, then what happens? If you prasanna atma prasanna atma chetaha yasya sah prasanna atma This person is now called prasanna atma. Prasanna meaning the pure or tranquil or happy or the transparent. So one whose mind has thus become tranquil. Atmanisthitva Atmanisthva swarupa bhoote advitiyananda lakshane brahmani and therefore abiding in the self which is of the nature of brahma meaning tadevaham that I am that I am tadevaham that I am that, that brahma I am meaning that which was that so far you can't say that I am you know because that is a pronoun employed for something that is remote and I is a pronoun employed for something that is immediate how can you say that I am what it means is, what was so far taken to be that, I discovered it to be myself. So, this nischaya, when is this the ascertained knowledge occurs, so that is what the Mahavakya Tattvam is, that thou art. that Mahavakya, this statement, what does it do? Tat as we say, it is that which is remote, which is Brahman or God. And Tvam meaning I, which is someone who is immediately known. Except that Tat or Ishvara Brahman is, is known by me as something that is remote. I know Brahman as omniscient, omnipotent, or full and complete, but I take it to be different from me. So there is remoteness associated with Tat or Brahman. Whereas I is something that is experienced right away. I know it immediately, but then I take the self as a little one. Therefore, littleness is associated with I. It's very interesting that with Brahman always the remoteness is associated. You always mention, I mean indicate God is above there, you know. Whatever he does is fine. Meaning, I take naturally Brahman to be somewhere else. This is natural. So, Brahman is taken to be remote, away from me. And whereas I is taken to be small, alpahal. So, this equation, Tatva that thou art, what it does is, it seeks to remove that, that remoteness from Brahman. Brahma is not remote, you indeed are. See, if I am Brahma, then Brahma means limitless. That means that l- sense of smallness of about I also goes away. So this simple statement that thou art seeks to remove the remoteness from Brahma and smallness from the self. And that is how I discover that the self is Brahma or limitless. <coughs> so when this nischaya comes, what is important is this nishaya meaning this ascertained knowledge about one's own self. What all notions and complexes one has been entertaining about oneself, I see them as all false. I see them as all arising from identification with upadi. Not because it's the nature of the self that I take myself to be mortal or limited, but I realize that since the body is taken to be the self, since the mind is taken to the self, and therefore these various complexes I am entertaining about myself. When I realize that there are upadi, all limitations are there in the body. They are there in the mind, all limitations are there, but they are not the limitations of the self. When I see this fact, tadevaham it is nischayana So tadevaham that brahma I am it is nischayana by this nischaya meaning by this ascertained knowledge. Another thing is drusyayatam parihrutya In this understanding also comes an understanding that there is really nothing apart from the self. That even this division of the self and the non-self also is no more there. All there is, is one self alone. And what we call the world also is nothing but the play or the manifestation of oneself. And so, one discovers what we call the or the non-duality of the self. It's not only enough to know that I am pure and I am whatever I am, but it's also necessary to know that I alone am. I am one, without a second. There is none other than me, there is none like me, there is none other than me. And I alone am. Iti matra avasthaya. Then when one abides in that knowledge that I am the non dual self, which is satyam jnanam anantam, jnanam which is awareness, satyam which is true or, or free from modifications, anantam boundless, devoid of any boundaries, when I discover the Self to be that. Akshayam Sukham Asnuve Then one attains that Akshayam Sukham Avinashi that Sukham Sarohutam tad One attains that happiness which is Akshayam, which is inexhaustible. So one attains that inexhaustible happiness which is one's own nature. Which was denied so far on account of the complexes I entertain about myself on account of various limitations that I superimposed upon my own self, this very happiness which is inexhaustible or boundless happiness that I am has been denied. Just as the true knowledge of the rope is denied on account of the complex that this is snake and all that needs to be removed is the complex or the notion that this is snake and so also all that seeks to be, needs to be done is to remove these complexes. And thus, when one has this nischaya, or ascertain the knowledge, that I am uh, I am brahman, which is limitless or boundless self, then all these karmas or actions performed earlier, they are as good as, they are all disowned, and they are as good as destroyed, ineffective. Those karmas can no more have any effect. They can come in situations. The past actions that I perform can, be, can present themselves before me in the form of situations, but no situation would affect me. They can even come as different states of the body, as pleasure and pain, no problem. They can even come to me as different states of mind, but then also no problem. Because I realize that I am the illuminator of all this and not one with them. <coughs> in the same verse, is further explained. Prasannat, prasannat, mani. Prasannat, maat, manistitva. So, prasannat, maat, manistitva, idiyuktame vartam, dvistan, dokti, purasaram, dradayati. The author here further uh, makes this understanding firm and clear by giving an illustration to explain the first part of the second line. Says the verse 115. समासक्तम् यथा चित्तम् समासक्तम् यथा चित्तम् जन्तोर् विषयगोचरे Yad विषयगोचरे यद्देवम् ब्रह्मणि स्यात् कहः यद्देवम् ब्रह्मणि स्यात् तद् यद्देवम् So, what is the example? We are quite familiar with what is meant by an effortless abidance of the mind. Says, Samasattam Yitta Chittam Jantoho Vishay Gochare Yitta just as Jantoho Chittam Vishay Gochare Samasattam Vishay Eva Gochare. Indira Pracharabhumi Tasminisa Swahata Samyak Asaktam See, normally it is the nature of the mind to dwell upon the sense objects. It is the nature of the mind to dwell upon the sense pleasure. And since it is desirous of sense pleasures, it dwells upon the sense objects. This is the nature of the mind. And we don't have to train or educate the mind at all. Mind, without any training or education, automatically dwells upon the objects which it looks upon as the source of pleasure. So, janto ho prāyana chittam viṣay gocharetha samāsaktam bhavadī How samāsammik āsaktam? āsaktam means attached. svabhāvatā How habitually and effortlessly the mind becomes, uh, mind is at the moment attached to the sense objects and sense pleasures. So this is the example. Example is something that is well known to us as to how the mind goes into its objects of raga and advesha. Mind also dwells upon something that it dislikes or hates. Mind effortlessly thinks of that which it likes or is attached to or it also effortlessly thinks of that which it hates or dislikes. So how the likes and dislikes pull the mind and the mind abides, meditates upon those objects. Even meditation also is not unknown to us. We know what meditation is. When the mind thinks for a long time upon a given thing, that's called meditation. Except we don't call it meditation because it is generally meditation upon an object. Sir Bhatruhari says, for the whole life I meditated and did not get the result of meditation. What did you meditate upon? He says, yogis also meditated for the whole life. I also meditated for the whole of my life. But I did not get the result that the yogis get. What did you meditate upon? He so, says, well, whereas the yogis meditated upon the lotus feet of the Lord, I always meditated upon money, you know, and that is all. And so my mind always went into that. And whatever exertion the yogis, uh, uh, exertions they go through, in order to gain the knowledge of the, the Lord, same kind of exertions I went through, and even more, in order to acquire that money. And so really, I have led the life of a yogi, he says. In as much as I have done, all that the yogis do. They remain hungry and thirsty, I also did, in search of the things. And so when I was exploring the new sources of wealth, etc., I had to spend time hungry and thirsty. I had to also wander in the heat and cold. And I also denied myself the comforts of the home, which the yogis do. But accept that, all the time, my object of pursuit was money and their object of pursuit is, is God. That's the only difference. <clears throat> but as effortlessly and naturally and without any education, the mind dwells upon the sense objects or the sense pleasures. Yadi evam, in the same manner, Yadi evam brahman isyad. If mind dwelt upon brahman in a sa- in the same manner, who is it who will not be liberated from this bondage? Who will not be liberated from the bondage? Definitely anyone will be liberated from the bondage if the mind abides in Brahman as easily and effortlessly as it abides in the sense objects. So easily and effortlessly if it can abide in the self, who will not be liberated? Anybody will be. As Shankarajara says in, in Bhagavad Gita, when this fellow this is a child, all the time dwelling upon the plays and toys, when he became young, he all the time thinking of the, the, the young woman or the beloved, became old, all the time worries and anxieties. How unfortunate that No one seems to be at all abiding in Brahman. So to abide is not unknown to our mind. And the mind will abide in something when the mind has interest in that. That's all. All that we have to do for the mind to meditate on something is to create an interest. If we just force the mind to think of something, by force it may do it for a while and then again move away from that. But if we make that object of meditation interesting or inspiring, then it will not be very difficult for the mind to dwell upon that. That's the reason why suppose you want to meditate on Krishna or Rama. That's why we have whole huge scriptures describing the glories and sports of Krishna or the Rama. And so you you listen to them and dwell upon that and that's how there is created in your mind a great reverence and respect and love and devotion for Krishna. And then with that the mind will be able to dwell upon that. So it is necessary to have a devotion and reverence and inspiration upon the object on which I want to meditate. And we have to make an effort to do that. That has to be created. It is naturally there, well and good. You naturally love Krishna or Rama or whatever, no problem. But otherwise, one has to make an effort to cultivate, bring that devotion, um, bring it to manifestation and then it will be possible to, to think of or dwell upon or meditate upon the object. Uktartha <coughs> avāntar In order to again make this particular point clear and firm, in the verse 116, the author talks of the two kinds of mind, or the two states of mind. Manohidvividham proktam, manohidvividham proktam, shuddham ca shuddham evache, shuddham ca shuddham evache. A shuddham kama samparkat, a kama samparkat, shuddham kama vivarjitam, shuddham kama vivarjitam. Manohid vividham proktam. He is something that is well known. Manaha the mind proktam. It is said to be twofold. fold Mind is twofold or mind is of two kinds. The mind is these two states. Shuddham ca eva. Either it is pure or it is impure. These are the two states of mind or mind is of two kinds. Pure and impure. What do you mean by pure and impure? So, Ashuddham Kama Whenever the mind is overcome by karma or lust, karma heti upalakshanam krodha de And when the karma or the lust is there, the krodha, the anger also will come. When my, my craving or the strong desire is thwarted or is frustrated or not fulfilled, that very thing gets transformed into anger. And when my craving is fulfilled, I crave more, and therefore it is translated into loha, the greed. It's interesting. The desire, when it is satisfied, then I want more always. So greed. And not satisfied, I become angry because it is not satisfied. So desire always produces some disturbance in the mind, in terms of either loha, greed, or in terms of anger. So it's kama, krodha, loha, the mind in which this kind of uh, eruptions are there likes and dislikes, attachments, aversions, all these cravings, anger, greed. So the mind in which all these things are is called impure mind. To think about objects is not a problem because objects are fine. The world is fine as it is. But to think of the world as an object of enjoyment, that's a problem. The attachment and aversions are the problem. The contact with the world is not a problem. So the mind in which there are attachments, aversions, and as a result of them, naturally, anger, and uh, greed, and so other uh, other impurities or other uh, eruptions that arise in the wake of this. So these are called Shad the six inner enemies. Kama, Krodha, Loha, Moha, Kaam means desire, Krodha the anger, lova the greed, Moha the delusion, Mother the pride, Matsarya the jealousies. So this jealousy, all of these are there and this is called an impure mind. Whenever any of these vrittis is there in the mind, then the mind is going to be extrovert. There cannot be tranquility of the mind. Mind cannot be tranquil or at peace with itself whenever any one of these modes arises in the mind. When there is strong desire or craving, mind cannot be quiet. It cannot be tranquil. When there is anger, it cannot be at peace. When there is greed, it cannot be at peace. When there is pride or arrogance, cannot be at peace. When there is jealousy, cannot be at peace. Resentment, cannot be at peace. In short, impure mind is that mind which is not at peace with itself. And when it is not at peace with itself, it is not at peace with other things also and therefore mind that is not at peace is called impure mind. Swami, so I am mean, always in peace when I'm, I fall asleep. Or when I don't do anything and lying down on my couch then also I am quiet. So that quietness is the quiet of tamas. So that is what we call tamas. So tamas also seems to create the state of quietude, But we are not talking we are talking of sattva, we are talking of the mind when it is tranquil, it is illumined, it is seeing, it is conscious, it is alert or contemplative. kama <clears throat> And thus when the mind becomes free from karma. Ah uh, means a desire, then it becomes shuddha. Why so much? Every time they talk of desire, and desire, and desire. But the idea is that whenever there is a desire in the mind, the mind will naturally be focused upon the object of desire. It's simple. Whenever I desire anything, I, there is, you know, the nature, there is nothing wrong or right with desire. But we are talking about the person who is trying to focus his or her mind upon the self. For that person, the desire becomes an obstacle. For the one who is living in the world and many aspirations and many projects to accomplish and many things to do, the desire may be even required. Because without the desire, you can't even manage, I mean, you cannot make yourself do things. So, where doing is important, then desire becomes a propelling force to to make me do things. But where nivruti where renunciation, or where disengagement, or where abidance in the self, when that is important, then the desire becomes an obstacle. So we should know that the desire is said to be an obstacle in what context? In the context of abidance of the mind in the self. Prajahadi yadakaman sarvan atman Totally free from all the desires because there is, when there is a desire there is a disturbance in the mind imagine the tranquil pool of water and you throw one pebble in there and how it generates the uh, you know uh, wrinkles and similarly also all the little waves are generated so similarly also a desire is like throwing a pebble in the tranquil pool of mind and it develops, you know, those ripples. So ripples are generated in the mind. And that is why one has difficulty in in having, abiding that mind or focusing that mind. That's the reason why this said here. Desire then brings about all other evils also. Is there karma or the desire is the first one. From that alone arises krodha or the anger. Kama esha, krodha When there is a desire or there is a demand, then there is always a possibility of anger because the desire may not be fulfilled. If the desire is fulfilled, there's always a possibility of love or the greed, because fulfillment of desire very often leads to more desires. And when either anger or greed arises, then my mind cannot be clearly thinking there is what we call moha the delusion because I can't think clearly. Then the pride arises, jealousy arises, all kinds of things arise. And so that is why kama, the desire, is said to be the source of all the disturbance in the mind. This is the, the diagnosis of the disturbance in the mind of the teachers here. As you understand, the desires can be classified as of two kinds also. One is desires which are, you may consider, essential. Others are desires which are imaginary. So desires for what we call desires centered upon the non-self and desires centered upon the self. So therefore, desire to sustain the body, desire to appease the hunger and thirst, desire to have the minimum comfort, desire to protect it from heat and cold, all of these are the desires which are required. And so one, since the one has this body, Since one is born in this world, there are certain minimum requirements and we have to respect those requirements and therefore desires to fulfill those requirements will be considered as definitely genuine desires. By genuine means it is a desire that are are okay because uh, those needs are also uh, something that I am born with. But which is a desire that can never be satisfied? The desire to be happy. Desire to be secure. you know, These are the desires that can never be satisfied because happiness or secure is not outside of me. So what is not, uh, what is problem? What has not been acquired, if you want to acquire, then desire can be satisfied. But if it is already acquired, what is it's already my nature, if I desire to acquire that, certainly a desire can never be satisfied. So if I say to God, please give me a head over my shoulder, you know. So like this man... Perform the penance, and when God came and asked Him, What do you want? I have, please give me a head over my shoulder. I'm sorry, I can't give you that. So, why? You can't give me such a simple thing, a head over my shoulder? I can't give it. But I understand that you are omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. How come you cannot even satisfy such a small thing? Request He says, Because you already have one. And so, if you want to modify the head, if you want two more eyes, something else you want, then I can give you what you don't have. So if you want something inside the head, then also I can give you. But head I cannot give you because you already have. And therefore, as they Tat tattva masi, if that statement of Upanishad is true, if you accept Upanishad as a Pramana, and if the statement of Upanishad is true, that tattva, that thou art, that means that, that ananda, that I am seeking, is my own self. And therefore, there is one thing that one cannot acquire from elsewhere. And that is why those desires are bound to be frustrated. So, this is a, that is a desire that is being talked about here. If you are hungry, there is a desire for food. I think nobody can grudge you. If you are feeling cold, there is a desire to cover your body. Fine. Feeling hot, you know, then one can do something about fulfilling these desires. Because these are the desires for uh for maintenance or sustenance of the body. But other desires. Swami, but where do I draw the line? Somebody asked me. When we say this, where do I draw the line? Now I require a car. So what kind of a car should I buy? Should I buy a simple model with stick shift and stuff like that? Or should I go in for I don't know, Mercedes and with all the gadgets and you know things in there? So how do I know what is my minimum requirement? So, well, depends on what you think the car is meant for. If a car is is a vehicle, to take you from one place to the other, then that's all you require. You don't require a CD inside, and then you don't require a stereo, and you don't require, you know, all kinds of gadgets. Push this button and something happens, push that button and this comes forward and backward and upward and downwards and tilted and things like that. And So, you can add whatever you want, but then all of these are uh, perhaps... So one must distinguish between necessities and luxuries. <coughs> so desire for necessity, I think, is okay. But desire, other desires, are only obstacles. <coughs> in short, he will therefore that kama ashuddham kama samparkat The mind that is in samparkat, the contact with kama, or possessed, possessed by kama, is impure mind. Shuddham kama vivarjatam That mind that has been made free from karma, attachments, aversions, that is what we call suddham or the pure mind. So, let us say that the mind should be free from attachments and aversions. Even if it is not free from desires, it should be free from attachments and aversions. Then automatically desires will come down. Because most of the desires are created from attachments and aversions. I'm attached to something. I cannot do without that thing. I must have it. That creates a desire to have it. Aversion, I can't stand something. I cannot tolerate that. I must get rid of it. That creates a desire to get rid of it. So most of the desires are created from attachments and aversions. It is those are the obstacles. There are certain desires are created. Because I'm hungry, there's a desire to eat. Because I'm thirsty, there's a desire to drink. Okay. But the desires create from attachments and aversions the fulfillment of which becomes very important to me, or the non-fulfillment of which makes me unhappy, so they are the binding desires. So let us say that, there are what we call binding desires, and there are non-binding desires. So by karma is meant here, binding desire. So mind, which is filled with all kinds of these binding desires, the fulfillment of which becomes absolutely important for one, that mind cannot be at peace with itself. We will say that, that mind is an impure mind. Whereas the mind is free from those binding desires. Then desires require non-binding desires are also going to be very few. And, and that also can be easily handled. So, shuddham kamavarjitam, mind that is free from binding desires can be called shuddham or the pure mind. <coughs> Dvidasya seva kramehna samsara mokshaya ho hitutam darsayadi. How this twofold mind becomes the kauda of the samsara or the moksha. That is what is said in the next verse, very famous verse. Mana eva manusyanam, mana eva manusyanam, kāranam bandha mokshaya kāranam bandha mokshaya Bandhaya visaya sattam bandhay visaya sattam mukteir nirvisayam smrutam mukteir nirvisayam smrutam this is a famous verse found in other texts also mana eva manushyanam bandha mokshayoh karanam what is the cause of bondage the mind is the cause of bondage what is it that brings about liberation the mind alone becomes a means for liberation. So both the bondage and liberation are in the mind. The mind alone is the cause of bondage, mind alone is the means for liberation. (coughs) How can you say that? How can one mind be the cause for two contradictory things? Bondage and liberation are, are opposed to each other. How can one mind become the cause for both? Either you can say mind is the cause of bondage, what is cause of liberation? How can it be cause of both bondage and liberation? Because we said earlier, Chittam hi Dvidham Proktam, Suddham Cha Suddham Evacha. The Chitta is Dvidham, twofold, pure and impure. And therefore, similarly, therefore the mind that is pure becomes a means for moksha. Mind that is impure becomes a cause for bondage. Again, the same point is Bandhaya Vishaya Saktam mukte-nir-viśyam-sutam visyam Saktam bandhāya viśayāsaktam the mind that is āsaktam attached to āsakti āsamanthāsakti so very close attachment so binding attachment when the mind is has binding attachment for the sense objects or sense pleasures then that mind becomes a cause of bondage Mukti Nirvisham smutam Nirvisham. The mind has become free from the attachments and aversions from the vishayas or the sense objects. Mukti it becomes the cause of Mukti or liberation. So mind is itself the cause of bondage or cause of liberation. This is also said in Bhagavad Gita. Atmaiva chaitanavandhu atmaiva ripu That mind alone is one's friend and mind alone can become one's enemy. Which mind is the friend and which mind is the enemy? The mind that has been freed from the, the hold of this Ragadveshas, that becomes my friend. Either the mind can be under my control or mind will be under the control of Ragadveshas. The mind is always under somebody's control. Always seeks, you know, some refuge. Generally, kama, krodha, Ragadvesha, you know, anger and passion, all of these things control the mind. And their mind always follows them. When the mind is released from the control of the attachments and aversions and brought under one's own control, then that mind is a friend. And when the mind is under the control of this kama krodha who are my enemies, then the very same mind becomes my enemy. Again, the kama or raga dvesha are the enemies, and raga dvesha are in the mind, so the mind possessed of raga dvesha becomes an enemy. <coughs> in short, therefore, one should constantly seek to make one's mind free from attachments and aversions, raga and dvesha. This is what we call the process of purification of the mind. Also the process of what we call the emotional maturity. This is what we call the maturity or the growth. So what is the criterion for the growth of a person to the extent that the person has become free from the hold of attachments and aversions or likes and dislikes. Both are impulses both likes and attachment and aversion, both of them are impulse. I see a given thing, immediately attachment arises, it's an impulse. Aversion arises, also an impulse. These attachments and aversions have arisen because I have not given enough thought to the nature of the thing. When I look upon a thing from all its angles and all aspects, there will be no reason for attachment and aversion. Attachment arises when I only look at the guna or the virtues of a thing. And my mind at that time fails to look at the vices associated with that thing. Aversion arises when I only look at the vices. At that time my mind fails to appreciate the virtues. Inasmuch as everything possesses both virtue and vice, if I give thought to both of them, if I take both of them into account, then there will be neither attachment nor aversion. Then I will have what we call an objective perception of the things. And that objective mind is called the pure mind. It becomes objective about the world. It becomes objective about oneself also. Because not being objective about myself brings about these various complexes about myself. And so objective mind is the pure mind or contemplative mind. And that mind is the cause for liberation. (coughs) Okay. Okay. Om Purana Madhav Purana Midham Purana Purana Mudachyade Puranasya Purana Madhaya Purana Meva Vasheshyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Bhadrayanam Sūtra-bhāśya-kṛtao-vande Bhagavantao-punap-punaham Īśvaro-gururātmedhi Mūrti-bheda-vibhāgi-ne Vyomavad-vyāptadehāya Dakshinā-mūrta-ye-namaham Oṁ namaham śānti Hari Om Sri Gurubhyo Namaha Hari Om